Good morning. Thankful for a little warmer weather. And uh, as we look toward Texas, it's thankful to have power. So it's good to... The thing I was having a hard time this week was is looking at the news a little bit and I just don't understand uh, how the power companies can do what they're doing to the folks down there. So certainly keep them in prayers. Be not very fun to get a $15,000 bill for your power for the last few weeks or last month. So it just seems kind of like thievery. Didn't seem quite right for some of those people. So hopefully they get some of that straightened out down there for those folks. Well, uh, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Romans in chapter 6. We are going to work through the first 14 verses of chapter 6. And uh, may the Lord uh, feed us and nourish us this morning on his truths that he has here. Uh, one of the things that um, I was thinking about in terms of the truth of God's word versus maybe what the answers that the world gives us. And one of the things that I continually hear, maybe I've said this before, I don't know, I don't remember. But one of the things that baffles me, um, but it seems to make sense in a secular mindset, is the fact that you always hear pushed and pushed and pushed that education is the key. Education is the key to undo poverty, to undo crime. If all of these people in the poor communities just had a better education, if we could just get a better education to those in poor countries, that, that uh, the violence would go down, that uh, jobs would be better, that that would be one of the things that solves all of our issues in this world is just a better education. And so that's why we want to give free education to everyone, right? Because then their problems would go away. So it, it just seems like, People that don't know the truth of God's word will grasp at all sorts of things to fulfill them and to alleviate them of their struggles with sin. And they might not even call it sin, but that is their answer. And we know, if we take a look around, that even though we have massive education and knowledge at our fingertips everywhere, that doesn't solve the problems of sin and the devastation that goes around the globe through violence and through just wicked men. And some of the highest educated people are some of the most wicked people on the planet and come up with some of the most devious schemes to hurt other people. So education certainly does not do it. But God has a plan for us, and we see it revealed in his word through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read through the first uh, 14 verses and see what God teaches us this morning about how we are to, uh, I guess, to sum up a little bit of the section in verse 4, walk in newness of life. How we are to be walk, uh, or how we are to live dead to sin and how we are to walk in newness of life. So let's read these, this uh, first passage here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also, we also, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. All right, so this is, uh, this is Paul continuing. And, and we have been going through Romans, and this is Paul certainly making a transition. You, you probably, if you, if you remember back to 1, 3, 4, 5, if you remember back to 5, he is certainly making a uh, transition here. And, and what we're going to see in this transition, and it's going to be really through, through chapter 6 and through chapter 7, is that he is going to, he's going to tie us and relate us into how our justification by faith, how we are made right with God, is going to relate into how we work that out in our life, how we walk that out, how, that, how our sanctification is, is directly tied to our justification, right? He is, he's going to see these things as knit. He sees them as, as incredibly knit together, uh, just integrally tied together, and he's baffled at how people will separate them. Right, and, and so he is going to, but this is not like chapter 12 and following. It might sound like uh, it, it's very close in certain aspects of the first couple of verses of chapter 12 and then in the rest of Romans and how it's very, here's your practical application of all the doctrine, of all the teaching. But, but here, this is, this is still the foundational teaching of how our justification by faith then moves into changing your life. How you're going to walk in holiness. How you're going to walk away from sin. How you are to view how you do it. Right? So this is extremely uh, uh, basic in Paul's mind. And not basic in the sense of, I mean, easy basic, but foundational. This is the, the rock foundation of how we are to live in toward death to sin 
And it's all going to be based on our union in Christ. Okay, everything we're going to see this morning is based upon what we talked about last time, our union being joined together in Christ. And we just barely touched on that last time in chapter 5 as we finished up. If you remember back, we looked at Adam, right? How we are born into sin because of our head, Adam. He was our representative, and we were born into sin because of him. And, and then that comparison that Paul gave us is Christ as our second Adam, and our new representative, right? He is our head now, and how we have justification, we have reconciliation, we have peace with God because we are now in Christ. When we place our faith in him, we are now in him. We are united to him, and everything that he did is reckoned to us, right? And so that's what we saw last time, and now we are going to move from there and in, in uh Paul focuses in this section on the death of Christ, but we are going to talk about his resurrection as well, but he seems to be mainly focused on what his death accomplished for us, and therefore, how do we live because of it? <clears throat> Chapter 6 starts off for us with a question. Paul really has a couple questions here that our answers as well for us. They're kind of a, a question-answer thing, and then he has his emphatic no there as well. And so he poses a question that obviously has come up somewhere. He is writing to, to the Romans. He's writing to the Roman Christians. He's writing to, to uh, knowing that there's always troublemakers that sneak in that bring lies. Right? There's always errors that try to sneak in. Satan is always trying to get us to, to believe wrong things. And so there, uh, and, and the scripture is full. Jesus warned us there's always going to be those that bring in wrong teaching. And so he's going he's gonna to pose this question that's an obviously not question so that we don't get carried down some rabbit trail that gets us thinking wrongly or believing wrongly. So Paul says in verse 1 there, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or may it never be. Or whatever your translation might read there. Just an emphatic, no way, no how. Right? That would be ridiculous to say, completely ridiculous to say, Oh, well, somehow, and, and this is related to where we left off in chapter 5, Hey, sin abounded because of the law. Grace abounds much more. That's where we left off. And so somebody is going to say in their twisted mind, thinking, oh, well, I can just keep on sinning. Somehow they're going to twist it. Say, if I continue to sin, that just shows off God's grace all the more. Right? God's glory gets to just abound, abound, abound more. So I can. it doesn't really matter if I keep sinning. I can just keep doing this and God will be shown to be great. So that's a really warped thinking, right? And the way we put that, it makes it sound dumb, obviously, right? But it's amazing how we can um, contrive things in our minds. Usually, we like to point that out in others, right? We're like, how could they possibly get there in their mind? What? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But somebody justified it in their mind, right? But we've all done that. 
right? Because we've all found a little pet sin that we've liked somehow, and so we justify in our, mo- in our minds how we can get away with it, right? And sometimes we think about it when we're little kids, and like, Mom will never figure this out. Mom will never see through this. I can get away with this little devious act, right? I can cover it up or hide it somewhere, and Mom will never find it, right? But we know that never works for us, right? But that's what it's like before God. We kind of try to contrive things that we can get away with our sin, so somehow we can keep doing it. But Paul is saying that is craziness, and it goes against everything that we've come to Jesus for. And he's going to use the example of baptism to show how crazy it is that we would want to continue living in sin so that grace may abound. So, uh, but before we do that, before we jump into that too much, uh, turn over to Jude for a moment. Last book of the Bible before Revelation. Um, Short few 20-some verses there. Appreciate some of the short little epistles like Jude that are hard-hitting, just packed full of wonderful truth here. But verses 3 and 4, this is what he says. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that um, who turn the grace of God into lewdness or licentiousness, maybe your translation might read as well, and deny the Lord. So, th- so there's people, as I was saying, who will just take scripture and twist it to take advantage of God's grace so that sin can maintain in their lives, right? And so that's whatever, whether this, whether this little um, question that, that Paul poses is something that he's already heard circulating or he just anticipates it, we don't know. I don't know, uh, but it doesn't matter. He poses this to prove, uh, to demonstrate his uh, point. And, and I, was, um, I was thinking a little bit how people like to twist things and others believe it. And we're, we're really good at making excuses. But recently, we've heard a lot of excuses about sin and justification of actions on why it's not our fault. And, and I hear so much today about the, somebody's social position, what they were born into, or their ancestors, or their parents, or this, that, or the other. And, and there's so much blame shifting on sin. And instead of just coming before God in repentance and, and acknowledging our sin and turning away from it. And it was, this week it was interesting. I went out of town to work for... Um, couple days and and uh, with some uh, for uh, some Christian family that we know and it was incredibly encouraging this week because uh, we just like to hide our sin so much and and just play church and whatever and try to 
wash ourselves and clean ourselves up so good. And, and um, this week, a, a friend of mine just pulled me aside and just was broken. Just, I mean, just started weeping and uh, over a sin that he had confessed to his wife. And I was just so encouraged. I wanted to just smile the whole time, but he was really hurting, you know? And so it, you know, I had to not do that, but I was so just like, I am love your humility, your realness, just your, that, that I'm taking this thing for what it says and I'm believing God's promises and, and I can't hide this and I have to confess it and, and go. And he just had no reason to bring it up to me. He just, I just want you to know this. And he just opened up and I was just like, man, you are an incredible example to me of what it means to confess and to repent and say, I want this to be real. So I want you to know. And um, because there's so much blaming and, and shifting and hiding of sin and wanting to continue in sin, I love it when we as brothers and sisters say, no, we got to kill sin. It needs to be dead to us. We need to live for righteousness. And, and so that was just wonderful. But, but Jude warns us, there's those that are going to twist it. They're going to creep in and try to twist what is true. And Paul says, you can't continue in sin that grace may abound. He's like, may it never be. Just no way, no how. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or don't you know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And so, so right here in verse 2, Paul is answering and asking a question at the, at the same time. How can we live any longer? We, we died to sin. Don't you know that you died to sin? And so the question is, is okay, what is he talking about? How did we die to sin? so that we can't live any longer in it, right? So, so what he is referencing then, he answers right off the get-go there with talking about our baptism. But, but it's all about union. What he's talking about, he's like, when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, when you trusted what he did, we were joined to him in a spiritual union, in a bond with Christ. We are now one with Christ. When he died, you died. Right? When, when he was obedient, God the Father looks at you as your obedience. Right? We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But you died. Your sin went to the cross. It is dead. It is no more. Right? So we have a union with Christ that is in, a spiritual bond that is an incredible truth, I want to say. Right? A reality in the spiritual that has taken place. And when he was raised to life, it guaranteed and promised our resurrection. We have our guaranteed new life now because of what he accomplished for us. And it is symbolized in our active obedience in baptism. Right? And so Paul says, you died. How can you live when, when you died 
for that, when Christ died for your sin, how can you just continue on in that? The whole, he's like, the whole point, he's saying, don't you know why you are baptized? The whole point of baptism is saying and coming, I want to repent and turn away from my sin, not continue in it. The whole point is, I'm dying to sin, I'm going down, I want to come up washed, clean, I want new life, I want righteousness, right? I want that, I don't want this sin anymore, one of the things that this, this guy said to me this week is he's like, I, I don't even, there's no fulfillment in sin. I don't even want that. But I fell to that sin. And, and it, it's like, I, I want it just gone for me. It's, it's yuck. There's nothing there for me. He's like, everything God has given me is good. And that's what I want. And I want to do that well. And I don't want that. And so he was just exemplifying to me this week, right what Paul is saying. And he's, he's like, I don't want to walk in that sin. But, but Paul here says, you were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into his death. Our baptism, and, and some people have some struggles here. Uh, in this little passage, um, wanting to just say this is just a spiritual baptism, not reality baptism. And I think Paul is just saying, no, this is our physical baptism that we follow Christ in obedience with. It symbolizes what Christ did for us on the cross. It's a picture for us of a spiritual reality. When we are baptized, that Christ has commanded us to our first act of obedience it doesn't do anything to add to your salvation. Absolutely not. We're justified by faith. We just covered all that. But it is a reality of what happens in the spiritual realm. Right? God says, repent. Go be baptized in my name. It's in Christ's name that we're baptized. Right? And so what Christ does for us is given, uh, is attributed, it is given to our reckon, to our account, to our life, we are made righteous. But we were joined to his death in that baptism. Right? That is an important, important note here that Paul is making. Don't you know that you were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We're united, and, and, and let me just keep going there for a second, verse 5, because this helps explain this even more. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he's going to talk about, he, he kind of phrases that past tense and then moves into that future tense there. But it's about this union in Christ in the likeness of his death. We have been united to Christ. This walking in newness of life, we're going to touch it right now, but, but it's more uh, in really in the rest of the passage. It's kind of flushed out a little bit. But for right here, 
our baptism signal, uh, signifies that, that death, burial, resurrection, right? Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, right? The Father looked on Christ's sacrifice. Yes, that is good. I receive that. I accept that. And, and, and it's just, it's an interesting, um, I guess, picture in my mind uh, that the God, the Father, his glory his majesty, beauty, uh, radiance of holiness, however you, whatever words come to describe that glory of God, is what raised his son, is how he raised his son and demonstrated that to us. And I may not be having the right words to describe all of that, but because that's what happens is our rationale, our reason, our uh, motivation, our power for us to walk in newness of life. He's saying because the glory of the Father raised Jesus, even so, that's why we walk in newness of life. And that, that newness of life uh, is because you're a new creation in Christ. All things are made new. Yeah, is there residual sin? Yeah, we get that. We feel that. We ache with that. He's going to get into that in chapter 7 and the rest of chapter 6 as well. We'll talk about that some more. He's not talking about perfectionism. Not going there. Paul's not even hinting at any of that. But he's saying you are a you're to walk in newness of life. You are a new creation. You have new affections, like Jonathan Edwards wrote about. You are, you're given a new heart that Ezekiel, Jeremiah talk about. So, so your heart now has new loves. You love what God loves. You, you glory in what he glories in. You hate what he hates. You're, you find beauty in what God has created in a, in a whole new way you have a new spirit within you we sing new songs uh we live for his glory uh we are his glory is his people we are new men new women as revelation tells us we are given new name names right we have god's jesus christ's name written over us so we are new we are called to walk in newness of life so so this new birth that Jesus talks about it in John 3 there is our old man was crucified was put to death with Christ on the cross he enables you to walk anew and, and this is a in, I don't know hope I assume you're like me in this this is really good news because if it was left up to my power to somehow just follow the law, I would be miserable failure, right? If you just had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just follow the rules, I would probably go off in some massive rebellious way and say, heck with it all, I'm going to live for myself. In fact, I know that's what I'd do because that's what my sinful heart wants me to do, right? Right? 
So if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God and his word transforming me and changing me, there'd be no strength to live and walk in newness of life. You wouldn't have newness of life to begin with. You'd just be left alone in your dark world. And if you've ever watched, uh, or not watched, read or listened to the Chronicles of Narnia all the way to the last battle, the, the seventh story there in the last battle, there, there's this battle that rages, and it's kind of interesting because the battle's really short. God just wins, right? So, so Aslan just wins. It's over quick. It's like this big thing, massive scare of this battle, and then it's just done, right? I, I think signifying a lot of just nobody has any strength to battle against God. It just doesn't work, right? And, but they go through this door, into eternal life. They go through this uh, door in the side of the hill, this little shack, and um, there's some dwarves in there that turned against uh, the, the crew of, let's say, um, Christians. Okay, all the good, the kids and all the, and all the warriors and the, the, the king and everybody, they, they get shoved through the door there's a group of dwarves that in the last battle turned against them. We're shooting arrows at both sides, shooting at the bad side. And there was like this division and um, they broke rank. And so they're in there in this next world and they're sitting there huddled together in complete darkness. They can't see anything. Everybody else can see, but they can't. And everything to them smells like a, a like a stinky stable, right? Like the pig pen. It smells like that, and everything they try to eat tastes rotten and gross, and they just don't want anything to do with anybody. Just leave me alone. They're stuck by themselves in the dark. You know, and and that's this just to me it was like, what? They're trying to uh, Lewis is trying to show how miserable um, separation from God is going to be and goes into further description and whatnot with the demons that are there and, and all that. Uh, but it, it's a good picture in my mind of, oh, you think you have your own way, you go your own way, and you're just stuck in the dark. And you, you can be eating a piece of cake and it tastes like garbage. Like there's just this lostness. If everything God gives is good, is, is miserable, and they can't enjoy anything, and they're stuck. And so, we don't, for them, they, they want to be following Aslan, and, and, and then it's further in and further up into heaven, and all the, the joys and the glories of the waterfalls and the forests and the mountains, and it's just this great journey for them at the end. But here, Paul says, that we are to be united to him in the likeness of his death, also in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so here he's, he's, he's moving us into this, this is how it works moment. He's trying to teach them, you need to have the light bulb come on here because when you are united with Christ, your old man is put to death. It's crucified. In other words, Christ, what he did when you're united, 
that, that, that slavery that you were in was broken and busted. Now you have, for the first time, the ability to walk in newness of life. You can, you can walk in righteousness and choose righteousness and the will of God and the way God wants you to, to live and to, to do that is it is pleasing to God because you're in Christ and now you have the power and the strength to not be a slave anymore. The old man has died and is in, for, in verse 70, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Right? Jesus was our perfect example in that. When, when, when he went to the cross and died and then rose again, it pretty much demonstrated, right? Okay, death doesn't have any power over him. Sin has no power over him. He can do whatever he wants. He's the king. He is the man, right? No power over him. He is in complete control. And it's kind of like what we're going to get into in chapter 7 a little bit. There's that example of if a wife is married and then her husband dies, she's not, she's free to be married again. She's not obligated to her husband because he has passed away and gone, right? There's, there's a freeness that she can remarry and getting into different understandings of the law, right? We have died also, we'll get there, uh, to the law. In Christ's death, we are now no longer under the law. We're under grace. We are now slaves to righteousness. We have a new master. We have a new king, right? We are now free. We're free from sin because of death. Jesus's death. Verse 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And stop there for a sec. So, that's like a, a very short summary of Hebrews, right? Um, Hebrews what? What would it be? Uh, 9 and 10? 8 and 9? Chapters 8 and 9? That, that Christ's sacrifice once for all, right? He died for sin once and for all. He doesn't have to do it again. There doesn't have to be multiple deaths. There doesn't have to be multiple sacrifices. Christ accomplished it, all of it, at the cross, right? So that was done. And I know that's what I believe uh, Steve was finished preaching before they moved and uh, working through the book of Hebrews, here, death no longer has dominion because Christ conquered it completely. And he's not just stating these truths just so we have something generic to trust in that we can go to heaven someday. Right? If you just have some generic truth, oh, I believe that truth, I'll go to heaven someday. There's no point in explaining all of the gospel and there's no point in Christ going to the cross except that he went so that we could conquer over sin and death. It just wasn't a pass. It was you now have the ability to die to sin and to live to righteousness. You are free. And so he's going to show you, and it's, it, and, and it's, 
I'm going to try to be emphatic here is it's not your strength or power that does it. It's not that you're so God, such a strong, stubborn will that you can just muster up and not give in. Right? I'm not going to do that. That, that never works. That'll always fail. It must be Christ's strength through you, in you, based on the truth of what he accomplished. Because he says here in verse 11, and in verse 11 is really, I, I, probably for me, um, a, a big one in this passage. It just seemed to really help me a lot. Because it says, likewise, likewise, in other words, based on all that stuff, based on Jesus's conquering of death and conquering of sin, likewise, you also reckon yourselves or consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, so me, you, considering yourself to be dead to sin, but and alive to God in Christ as our Lord, is based on Jesus, Jesus's work. And this is helpful for me because for me, I like to dwell on my failings, my sin way too much. Or, or I, I give way to wrong thinking that, you know, I'm just, I'm never going to get over that. You know, I just get that in my mind. You know, I just, oh, man, I just tripping me up again. I'm not going to get over this till I'm dead. Right? I'm just, why is this always going to keep nagging me and, and just tempting me to drag me down? Right? And, and, Getting better. I like to say that, right? That's good. Because th there was a time in my 20s where I was really, really hard on myself, on my sin. And just, ah, oh, just always dwelling on my failings in my sin. And, and I just bugged me. And I'm a lot further from that than I was. I'm thankful for God's word, right? But it's good for us, and for me, because I have that tendency myself of, of just getting sucked into that of focusing on the negative of my sin it it's good and i guess let me say it before i finish that what that leads to is a works-based mentality of i have to whoop it myself it leads to me diminishing the work of jesus on the cross right it when i when i'm just trying to do it it's taking away from his work. And so when I come back to this, and, and, and I have to say, this is um, training, spiritual training, discipline right here, in the sense of I need to renew my mind and my heart with this truth, right? To, to live well, to walk in newness of life, I have to, he says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. I have to consider, I have to ponder, I have to meditate, I have to memorize, I have to just think deeply about the fact that Jesus did it all. That his death means my death. That his freedom and his resurrection means my resurrection, my newness, my freedom. I have, to, I have to drill that into my soul in God's word and believe this and trust this. And so when I'm faced with temptation, I can say, no, I can walk in newness of life. I don't have to give in. Right? I, I have been made new. All things have been made new. Not just some things. 
right? And sometimes that takes a little more faith than I want to have at the moment, right? And I have to say, no, God, I need to trust you and rely upon you to get me through this and um, whatever that might be. And uh, and then I, I typically want to go back to scriptures that teach me about my newness or about the promises that God will continue to finish the work that he began in me, right? I have to go back and say, I want to be in the, in the likeness of Christ. Turn to 1 John for a moment, uh, back there close to Jude, of course. Uh, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. But I'm going to start in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And But there's that union again that that John is referring to here, and, and he's really big in this, those that say they are in him ought to walk. And, and when I first read that, that can sound like you need to do this law to know that you're saved. And then I need to come back and, and go toward the end of the book and, and realize that it's Christ that is in us and, and transforming us and working in us to do these things. And these are demonstrations of our faith. And But... If we are abiding in him, and I think back to John chapter 15 and, and all that, abiding in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. It's not this separation of just belief. It's, it's abiding and walking as Jesus did in his likeness. And then I start thinking of scriptures that it's, it's really, it's this Jesus promising to give us his Holy Spirit. It's, it's Jeremiah and Ezekiel promising, him promising that, oh, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I'm going to cause them, cause them to walk in my ways. And I'm realizing, oh, it is God that's working in me to walk as he walked and to be free and to have this new life in Christ seen, uh, worked out. Right? It's... it's um, it's Colossians chapter 3. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So there's this there's this, I want to say, knowledge here in chapter 6 of Romans that, that Paul here is saying, okay, I, I'm putting off, I'm putting on, I'm putting off, I'm putting on. There's this uh, no lying and wrath and malice and blasphemy and anger that he talked about in, in earlier than that. And he's saying, I, I'm putting that stuff off and I'm being renewed in knowledge according to the image of Jesus Christ who created us. And he has created us in his image. And like the kids were memorizing, I think a little while ago, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but 10, where we're created for good works, right? We are, he's created us to walk in ways of righteousness and holiness. So it's not just a, 
pronounced holy, but it's a working out of righteousness and holiness in our lives because of what Jesus did. And uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I pretty much already quoted uh, verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, that he'll complete his good work in us right until the day of Jesus Christ. But chapter 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I love that combination in that verse of, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will it and to do it. And it's his good pleasure. I just so appreciate that. But we got to go through it with godly fear and and just trembling before his awesomeness and marveling about our salvation that he's doing it in us. I, I love when those things that sometimes baffle us are come together in the same verse. Okay, back to Romans chapter 6. So that was verse 11, 12 through 14. Is, is really almost a, um, maybe a summary of some of that, but also a launching into the rest of the chapter. So we'll just, just touch on it very briefly. But it says, Therefore, do not let sin, sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So just to to look at that little long phrase there is to say, remember back to chapter 5 when we were back there last time, and it's all about, there's those, those several repeated words there, and it's that reigning or ruling mentality and here it's continued through in through six just not as prominent but but Christ conquered all those things set us free now we're called don't let sin reign right you're no longer a slave of sin and in this next passage is all about slavery but we're no longer a slave so so don't live that way but but I don't want to jump into next next time, but it, sin shall not have dominion over you, right? Don't let it rule over you. You can let it have control. You can fall into that, into those just patterns of sin, and when you feed it, it just grows, right? And always gets deeper and darker. Start with something easy, and it just sucks you in. But don't let it have dominion, right? Christ is our power. It's, it's he's our strength. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And we're not under law, but we're under grace. We just have to remember it's that grace of God. His grace is not empty. His grace is a redeeming power. It's full of power and it's full of effectiveness in our life. His, his grace is. And so, uh, and, and it's like, I want to say that picture of don't present yourselves 
as members of instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. It's like this is what you're you're offering or you're giving. Don't don't give yourself over to this sin and filth. Give yourself to this righteousness and this goodness of God that he wants us to live in. And because he's just given us his grace to do it in Jesus Christ. So let's uh, let's worship him for that in, in prayer. Father, we we want to thank you for your word. Your, your word is certainly what feeds us. Uh, Father, your word is what gives us knowledge, not that empty education of the world that has no power, but truth given from you through your Holy Spirit and a new heart and new life and through the power of Christ. Father, that, that is something that transforms that's, that is good news that brings about goodness for all eternity, light and joy and peace. Father, that, that delivers results. Father, we're thankful for your word because it's a part of uh, giving us uh, joy, giving us renewing us in, in hope and steadfastness. It, it helps us to continue to fight the good fight. Father, we want to live worthy of what you have called us to, and it's only through uh, your strength and power that we can do that, but it's your truth that gives us uh, the knowledge of it. Father, we're thankful that your word never changes. Father, we're thankful that you never change. Father, we're thankful that we can trust all that you give us. Father, uh, this world needs your hope. It needs your truth. It needs a demonstration of newness of life from us. Father, I, I just pray that you would do that in us this week for our own edification, for our own uh, sanctification, but also for those around us. May your work not return void in us, but may it just may we be reaping fruit uh, of um, your handiwork. Father, we just ask that it would be a hundredfold. Father, we just ask it in Jesus' name.